listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 22nd of August 2022. Later, China cuts its key lending rate, so what does that say about its economy? But first, to profit reporting season, which continues to roll on. Today, a focus on private health insurer NIB. It saw its net profit fall by 16% because of investment calls, but it's underlying profit, which is connected to its insurance business, rose almost 15%. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Mark Fitzgibbon, about the numbers, COVID, inflation and international travel. Oh, it's a very uh, solid uh, result. Um, you know, no doubt there are some headwinds that, that, that we face, as most uh, businesses do, around uh, interest rates and um, stress on household budgets and concern about, you know, recessionary um, conditions. Um, but, you know, against that, um, you know, through COVID-19, look, Ricardo, nobody celebrates COVID-19 for, for a moment, but has been positive in the sense that it's heightened awareness in the community of the risk of disease and the need for protection and, and management. Both apply to our new business model. We want to be there to um, protect people against the risk of disease by you know, supporting them in hospitals and with their doctors, but we also increasingly want to be there to help them and their doctors manage the risk. So COVID-19 is a tailwind uh, for that. It's supporting the kind of investment we're making in health management services uh, via, via companies, joint ventures we have with uh, Honeysuckle Health, but more recently uh, Midnight Health, which provides uh, treatment uh, packages. So COVID-19, for all its for all its malignant you know, effect on society is supporting changes in the healthcare system, which is aligned with our, very much aligned with our business strategy. And so to what extent has it meant that you've seen an increase in membership? Well, it's done that. So, uh, you know, for the past seven quarters now, the private health insurance industry as a whole has grown. Now, that hasn't happened you know, well, I can't remember when it last happened. And we've been part of that growth and we've done a little bit better um, uh, than, than the industry as a whole in, in terms of growth. Now, again, nobody ignores the, the fact that we are ultimately a discretionary spend and there is some pressure on household budgets, but it seems, at least for the time being, and July's been a good month as well, is that people are prioritising uh, the need for health protection and management ahead of some other purchasing decisions. I guess as a result, though, um, even though you're seeing an increase in membership, claims are down, down 3.1% over the past year. Um, a few reasons for that. Um, uh, you, you've got capacity constraints at hospitals, also access, um, limited access because of COVID to these hospitals. So as a result, how are you giving back to, to members, though, if, if they're not making as many claims? Yeah, and, and another factor is, you know, there's a... There's a natural aversion to hospitalisation unless it's really warranted. So people are deferring, you know, things like um, replacement knees and hips um, or colonoscopies. So, you know, there are a number of factors which have slowed claims claims down. The way we've dealt with that is to recognise that, look, a lot of this treatment will happen or just happen down the track a little bit. So we're providing for that uh, eventuality in a new accounting provision called the Deferred Claims uh, liability, and that sits at about $110 million uh, at the moment. But equally, that hasn't stopped us for compensating members for what is obviously a denial in, of service in some respects. So if I typically had 
two checkups each year and during COVID had none, I don't, I don't suddenly have four next year. So we know that that's a saving. And so where we've been able to identify permanent savings, we've made recompense to our members. We've given cash back, cash rebates. We've deferred approved premium increases. We've expanded cover to include COVID-related illnesses, even if it's not on, on, on the policy. And we've been supporting a broad range of uh, community efforts. And those, the value of those, that compensation, if you like, is about $100 million, although we anticipate more. You've got a, a unique insight into the, the travel industry through travel insurance policies, uh, especially on the international side as borders reopen. We've done a lot of stories about how international travel is back. What are you seeing based on your numbers? Based on our numbers, I'd say it's about 75 to 80% back, uh, but it is surging. And so when it gets to 100% or beyond, I'm figuring probably um, next calendar year. Although, again, a lot depends, Ricardo, on whether or not there's another uh, bout of Omicron or whatever the next variant is. And, um, you know, uh, travel is hampered. But right now it's, um, it's racing back to whatever the new normal looks like, and we're quite bullish about the sector. Um, the other major issue at the moment is the skills shortage. How does that impact your business and how are you managing it? Um, well, it, it doesn't affect our business directly. We're not, I have to say, we're not suffering for any um, deficit of um, talent and skills and, 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 and people uh, generally. And in fact, our shift to distributed working has made, um, you know, recruitment in the marketplace uh, all the more effective. If, if I use that expression, where it does certainly impact our business in a positive way, I should should mention, is in both. <clears throat> I expect um, we have a we have a business that insures seventy thousand uh, foreign workers. So the more foreign workers we import, the better it is uh, for that business. And you know that's not being self interested. Like the country needs uh, more foreign workers, and you know. In, in so many parts of uh, industry. So that, that's positive for, uh, for our business. And in terms of general immigration, um, that's positive for the business too because typically Australian imports somewhere between 160,000 and 200,000 uh, immigrants. During COVID, that number's been pretty much zero. And so we've been missing out on that, that addressable market and um, uh, immigrants tend to be um, buyers of health insurance. So... <clears throat> The, rest, the restoration of immigration to his, to to that that historical level, together with our uh, greater appetite uh, for foreign workers, um, you know, are net positives for sure for you know, for the company. Mark Fitzgibbon, there, the CEO of NIB. From NIB, let's go to the share market. The ASX 200 down 1%, 7,046.9. For more on the day's market action, I spoke earlier with James Whelan from VFS Group. Looks like uh, markets are bore a vacuum and with no real big Australian data points on the horizon, we've taken our lead from the US markets, uh, which closed quite lower after having a really good run of four straight up weeks. They were due for a bit of a breather, and so we've taken uh, negative, well, not negative, but bearish comments uh, from Fed speakers uh, leading into Jackson Hole at the end of this week as being the reason for a bit of a sell-off. So just taking a slight breather uh, to today. 
Okay, so that's the US. What about China? Because today China continued to cut its lending rates to spur its economy and no doubt property, right? What do you make of this Chinese economic slowdown and to what an extent is it a concern for investors? Uh, Yeah, you can see it as a real concern for investors and a few edges on this one. Yes, they did change their one-year loan prime rate, uh, lowered it by five basis points to 3.65%. Uh, at the central bank's monthly fixing, and the five-year LPR was slashed by 15 basis points to 4.3%. That was all in line. That was all in guidance uh, and and not to be unexpected. The thing that markets are taking away from it is that that's not a real move from strength to stimulate. That's a move from weakness to try and fix what is an inherent problem in their building industry after some policy changes last week, allowing for lending, uh, a little bit easier lending for some uh, for some construction groups. That's seen by the market as not being able to maybe save it right now. More cuts are ahead. Also keeping in mind that no one really expects them to hit their GDP growth targets of 5.5% this year either. So uh, a lot of weakness coming out of China. What we're hoping, though, potentially, is that uh, these uh, these bearish sentiments might just start to turn around towards the end of the year. We've got the People's Congress coming up in a, in a little while. Also, we, we're seeing that maybe after that there could be the relaxation of COVID zero policies, and then some huge stimulus to try and get it as close to GDP growth uh, 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 outlook as they're potentially as they could get. So uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be big for the Australian dollar. It's going to be big for Australian commodities as well. That's that's the best case scenario that we can see towards the end of the year. That's not that's not being implied right now. Can we bring it back home now? Profit reporting season continues to roll on. I think it's the busiest week this week. Can we perhaps focus on a couple and and start off with Ampol? To what extent has it benefited from the rising cost of fuel, and has it given us any indication of where it thinks oil or petrol prices will go for that matter? Uh, it's a pretty bullish result from Ampol as well. Some great numbers, uh, a doubling of their first half profit. A bottom line net income, which is directly affected by the changing price of oil and fuel, doubled from uh, from 325.5 million up to 695.5 million dollars. So a sensational turnaround there. They are very very positive on the outlook for for fuel and for oil. And also, whilst they do that, they are also progressing really well into the retail area with their EV charging stations project uh, taking some real shape. So. Pretty good the way that they're starting to hedge their bets there as well and uh, and accepted quite well from the market today. And any other profit numbers out today you found interesting? Nick Scarley. Now, I won't go into the weeds on their results, but Nick Scarley did have a, a fairly decent result this morning. Uh, that was uh, main, mainly because of their order book uh, being quite bigger and also margins, uh, no pressure on their margins. What we are urging caution on this space, though, in the consumer discretionary space, is for people to really start to maybe if you could take some profits on some of these stocks, maybe now is the time to start doing that. Looking towards the end of the year, we've got a pretty significant mortgage cliff, which has been commentated on quite significantly as fixed interest mortgages roll into variable rates. People's spending has already started to come back because of that. There is a bit of a grace period that we're going to see over Christmas. We're getting some news from the Australian Retailers Association, maybe to expect that Christmas is going to be the last hurrah before huge cuts come in in January. Those consumer discretionary stocks may not want to be the best. May not be those consumer discretionary stocks may not be the best place to be. Should that happen, uh, as belt tightening really will take an impact quite severely and quite quickly as well. It won't be. Uh, a, a huge lead time on it. It's going to be pretty much overnight. James Willem there from VFS.
This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.